Hello, welcome to First Person, a podcast brought to you by Coleman FBC. I'm Chuck, and during the next few minutes, I'll join you, the listener, as we meet and get to know others in the First Baptist family. Together, we'll learn about them, their families, and what brought them to Coleman. First, I want to thank the production team of Karen Harmon and Vance Donahue for their help in making this podcast available. Well, I'm joined today by Alan Dunkling. Alan has come by to to talk with us for our First Person podcast, and um, I just wanted to get Alan to come in because many of you will know him already, and you'll know he and Tammy, and you know their involvement in First Baptist Church. And Alan's a longtime teacher. I don't know exactly how long you've been teaching, but a long time, and a chairman of our deacons. And uh, I just wanted you to get to know him a little bit. Most, a lot of you do. But there's so many new folks coming to our church that it's always good for them to get to know. I would refer to you, not to date you, but I would say they need to get to know our anchors. So you would be what I would consider an anchor, Alan. And so, man, I appreciate you coming by and just joining me and spend a little time with me. And everybody can, you can tell us your story. It's always, it's always good to get to hear from people and get to know about their family, know about their kids. And grandkids, if they happen yeah, to have some of those, yeah. everybody wants to, yeah, I'm, not me. Now, I would never talk about mine, but some people like to talk well, about Well, uh, I have a it, – it's a good thing we're just doing a podcast and, and not anything on air because I got a ton of pictures I could share on grandkids. So. Yeah, just happen to have my phone. Just happen hand- to have them yeah. handy right here, you know. And the phone makes it even easier, doesn't it? You can just yes, look here and scroll yes, and all that does. kind of stuff. So, so Alan – to start with, tell us about your family and, and wife and kids and that sort of stuff, and then we'll just delve into a little bit more about Alan, get to know your background and all the, the different things. I know you've done a lot of things over the years, so I, I'm, I'm anxious to hear about those things. But first, tell us about your family. Uh, you know, I'm married to Tammy, who is who is really uh, an anchor, so to speak, not just for the church, but for our family, and keeps me kind of squared away and uh she and I will celebrate 35 years of marriage, August 16th of this year. So, Tammy, if you're listening, I do know we have an anniversary coming up. So, uh, in number 35 in that regard. And, and we have two wonderful kids and Drew, who is uh, in his fourth year with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, he was stationed over in England. He's a crew chief on the CV-22, which is that uh, prop plane that uh, they do a lot of special operations with. So, he got his special ops badge and He's very proud of that, and we're very proud of him. And my daughter, Taylor, who uh, works in the school system here at Colvin County Schools, and uh, she has given us two, her and her husband, Haydenham, have given us two wonderful grandchildren, Griffin and Grady Luke. Uh, both of them have GLH, Griffin Laneham and Grady Luke Ham. And uh, that's one reason I retired after 33 years in education is to have an opportunity to help raise my grandchildren. Get, get to spend some time with yes, them. Yes, yeah. and, uh, and we've been blessed in that area, uh, being able to keep them uh, one to two days a week. And uh, that's kind of come to a halt with Griffin because he's now in, went to pre-K this year and will start kindergarten. But we still get him in the summertime and uh, spend a lot of time with him when we can. But I had a friend of mine. Yeah, he referred to them. He didn't call them grandkids. He called them grandest children. Grandest children. <laughs> grandest children. So one of the things that most a lot of folks do, and, and I always do this too, I guess it's a, a way to establish some common ground. But when, when you meet someone, you always ask them, so, well, where are you from? You know, and, it, and usually if you can work it back, you know, I'm from you name it, and I knew somebody, and did you know somebody? You know how that works in the South. So tell us where you're from and tell us kind of where you grew up and all that sort of stuff. Well, I grew up in uh, 
the, of course, the Black Belt area over in Bibb County, Alabama, and a small community called Woodstock. And uh, I went to West Blockton High School, graduated from there, went to University of Montevallo. I uh, got both my master, uh, undergraduate and master's from there. Went back to UAB, got another master's in administration. But I've been all over Bibb County, Alabama on the uh, what they call the Cava River and all the creeks and things and grew up. I always tell everybody I grew up uh, in a Depression era after the Depression. And, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor because everybody around us was poor, but everybody was hardworking and, you know, gardening and, and, and community sharing in that respect with gardening, helping older folks. I can remember dad uh, uh, getting me some lawn care jobs. Today, these folks are, are making $70, $75. I was getting paid two and uh, $2, $6, and sometimes just uh, one of the widows may bake a cake because dad would say, now look, you're going to mow Miss So-and-So's yard, but don't you take any money. You mow that yard, but if she offers to bake you a cake, you can take the cake. So uh, just a real country upbringing that I wouldn't change for anything in this world. You know, I I served, and you and I have talked about this, but I served in southeastern Shelby County. So, But I'm real familiar with all that over there. I, I actually know where Green Pond is. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the big metropolitan own. area there. <laughs> Did you ever go to the corner store in Green Pond? Uh, I, I'm Alabama? not sure I have, but I've been I've okay. been to Green Pond. You have to be going there to get there. Yes, but, you do. Yes, but Bibb County and and is similar to I mean, so many counties. Um, but that area down in there, you're right there. I guess the the county seat of Bibb County would be what Centerville, Centerville. Brent. Yeah, is it Centerville? Then I guess. Yeah, it was even Centerville though they're in, right, in Centerville Brent, that you know, you drop a rock. You don't even have to throw it. You drop a rock and it'll roll into Brent, but you know, they in if you're down in that area, if you live in Centerville, you're from Centerville. If you live in Brent, you're from Brent. Although we folks that would travel down from Woodstock or wherever, we just could all considered it all Centerville. But uh, folks uh, took a lot of pride in their community. Yeah. So do you have brothers and sisters? I and- do. I do. Uh, I have uh, two brothers, one sister. Uh, Michael is a retired uh, police officer and now in realty, and he spent 27 years with uh, Shelby County. Uh, Sheriff's Department and uh, served some with Clara. When Clara saw its boom, he was a school resource officer for years. My sister Teresa is a CPA uh, in Birmingham, and my brother Ricky just recently retired from Goodyear in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, you know, got a, a ton of nieces and nephews and uh, really enjoy hanging out with them. And, and you know, I'm a great uncle. I told him I knew that all the time, that, that I was a great uncle. But they they just had to make it uh, official by getting that second round of. of so what children. did your dad do when you were growing up? Dad worked at U.S. Steel. Okay. He started in the ore mines, and uh, you know he's one of those guys that uh, because of the way things were back then, you know he dropped out of school, went to work at a very early age, and wound up in the ore mines up in uh, uh, for U.S. Steel and. Uh, in various areas, and but he put in 33 years uh, with the U.S. Steel and kind of got caught up in that 1980s era where, you know, U.S. Steel kind of closed, closed things down, and uh, uh, and he worked for a, a small garage in Woodstock at that time, just kind of trying to help make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mom went back to school and was really a, a catalyst for me and, and just a tremendous example of hard work working for a 
sewing company down in West Blockton, Andrew Knit at that time, and uh, working a full-time job, taking on full course load, going back to school, because she had dropped out of school in the sixth grade, and uh, went back and got her associate's degree, went into nursing, and had a good career in nursing. Are either, either one of your parents still alive? No, or? the dad's been gone now for eight years. Mom's been gone for going on yeah. 14 years, and I miss them both tremendously. But, you know, I guess we do reach a point in life where we 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 appreciated them anyway, but we just didn't know how much we appreciated them until we get kind of to this stage where we're we're the grandparents and we're we're at that level where we're saying, you know, uh, it's a uh, I, I jokingly say we're we're in the bonus rounds, you know, so to speak, but we really are. And so uh but you just appreciate what they what they did and what they brought to your life. Yes, and and you know, we and, and you understand it, you think about them daily. Mm-hmm. And I, I catch myself, you know, I, I especially something to come up or I'll be talking to my daughter or to my grandkids and I'll say something, I th- I'll think, that's what Mama used to say. You know, that's what Daddy used to tell me. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> we do that, too, because Susan will say something, and, and her her mom's still, mom still alive. And my, my mom's alive, but my dad's passed away. But anyway, we'll, we'll jokingly say that because she'll say something, and she'll, I'll say, well, Lenora? Because her mom's <laughs> name is Lenora. But she'll say things that just sound exactly like her mom, you know. And, and, uh, and I know I do the same thing. And actually, you, you probably— Look a lot more like them. The older you get, it's like I didn't ever think I looked like my dad, but the older I get, I I can see it, you know. But yeah, but yeah. Hopefully, you know, and like you say, your mom—they taught you so much. Yeah, I, I got so much from them. Just work ethic, number one, and doing things with integrity. Right. And if you say you're going to do something, you do it. You finish it uh, because your word needs to mean something. And, uh, and and I know folks that are listening can say, "Yep, I, I know what you're talking about." Yeah, because that was just kind yeah. of the thing in our in our area. It was the fabric. It wasn't that it wasn't that anyone was perfect, and no one thought that anyone was perfect, and we all knew no one was perfect. But there was just a, a value system built in, and you knew, like I did with my parents, you knew there were certain things, certain ways, certain ways. You mainly the way you treated people. Mm. Yes. You know the way you way you dealt with people, and you know try to and and I'm not saying I never failed or anything like that. And I know you aren't either, but you're you're exactly right. So so you grew up, and then you obviously you grew up, and then you became you went to school at Mono Valley. You did all those kind of things, but you made a career in education, correct? I did, and and it's because of the influence of coaches and teachers in my life, and uh, I know some a lot of teachers that have that same you know that same story. You know somebody. Uh, in the school system, you know, school was a good place for me. It was a safe place for me, and I loved going to school. And I, I've often said that if somebody would pay me to go to school and take classes, I, I could have made that a, a career in and of itself. And, but I did. I, I stayed in education for 33 years, uh, you know, not all at one place. Longest has been here in Coleman. We came here because, number one, it's a good place, and we wanted a place to raise our children, you know, and I was in coaching. And before children, we I was kind of climbing that career ladder, or so I th- so I thought, and you know I'd reached kind of that pinnacle in six A football, and uh, kind of wasn't what I thought it would be. I kind of yearned for that smaller school, that smaller community where it was community oriented, and we found that in Good Hope. And uh, man, what a wonderful place, and wonderful kids, and wonderful folks to work with and work for. And uh, we've been here since two thousand and one, uh, and. 
you know, we've made this our home, and people have welcomed us. And we made Coleman First Baptist our home right. in 2003 and, uh, you know, had that same experience. Uh, just folks just so warm and friendly and uh, just welcomed us into the church family. So you came to Good Hope originally as as in, as a coach? Yes, coach and teacher. And uh, I had I had— I want to say that I'd been in education around 10 or 12 years at that time and, and had uh, one stint as a head coach and uh, had been a coordinator, uh, defensive and offensive at various places, and had been in Georgia for a couple of years mm-hmm. and um, at a very large school. And, uh, you know, and, and it was just time to settle down. Kids change things. Mm-hmm. And, they do. Uh, it, and it changed career aspirations. I still worked hard. Still wanted to be a football coach, but I wanted a place to raise my family. And so somewhere along the way, as you know, being in athletics and that kind of stuff, but then you made the leap or into administration. Is that how did that come about? It, it was a God thing. Uh, you know, people say that, and uh, you know, I didn't really understand what that meant until it happened. I was actually hiking the Penhody Trail over in East Alabama, and and uh, Saint Bernard had gotten a cohort together. The year before, and a cohort is where you can come in, take these classes, and not have to go to UAB or to another campus. You can do it locally, and they send the professors to you. and And, and so I got that second administration degree, our second master's degree in administration, and um, wasn't even thinking about going into administration. I was happy coaching. I was happy doing what I was doing. I loved teaching in the classroom. You know, loved interacting with kids, and uh, just really was probably in a, a, a good place from a professional standpoint. And I was hiking the Penhody Trail, and I got a, a phone call that said, hey, this job has come open and would like for you to, to think about applying for it because I'd really like to have you as assistant principal. And I thought, I never planned on being assistant principal. But after talking with Tammy and praying over it, we thought, you know, God's kind of put these things in order, and this door has opened, and uh, so let's let's make that move. And and I did and remained as an assistant principal for eight years, wound up becoming principal of the school and uh, really enjoyed doing that and uh, would still be doing that had it not been for grandchildren. And uh, uh, But after a few years of doing that, it was kind of like, well, we got this thing kind of where we want it to be and uh, maybe right now is a good time to change that leadership. Right. And now you, now you still – but you still do part-time – yeah, I do full time part time work. You well, know? <laughs> well, what is it? What is it they say? Uh, or part time full time? Yeah, part time's all. You say part time's all the time, and I can't remember how that works. My wife says that, but no, part time's full time, and full time's all the time. Yeah, I believe yeah, that's how yeah. she says it. But and, and, and yeah, I do. I, I, I still work for the school system, and and I get to interact with kids. Not kind of like what I used to, but mm-hmm. I really enjoy mentoring coaches and uh, just being a resource. Right. And, and I do that by being athletic director for our system. Now, it's not athletic director in terms of what a lot of folks think an athletic director does. I shuffle a lot of paperwork, but I'm there as, to really be a resource for coaches and our AD, local ADs in our schools. And that's one thing I I'm, I'm really take a lot of, and, and don't, folks out there listening, don't, don't take this wrong, uh, pride in, not the, the, yeah, right. the boastful pride, but you know, just the fact that we do now have local athletic directors at our school that that receive a supplement for doing that job, and and it is a it is quite the job for them. And you know, and we've we've streamlined some things uh, that really needed to be streamlined, and right, uh, and and made some steps in 
positive directions from an athletic standpoint. I uh, my, our last interview, in fact, the podcast is up now. Cade Smith, and he's the he's the athletic director for UAH. And uh, when I was interviewing him, I I said, well, Cade is aside from maybe being a pastor or on staff at a church, could there be a, a job that would be more misunderstood than an athletic director? Because I, I said I. In my mind, I conjure up all kinds of things, but I said, I really I don't have a clue what a, a real athletic director. I mean, they could do everything. There's nothing they couldn't do, but what do they do? And you know, we had a we had a long discussion about that. But and and uh, conclusion being on my part was that it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility, yeah. and, and especially when you know, we have uh, 16 schools that participate in athletics and. That's a lot of coaches. That's a lot of non-faculty coaches. That's a lot of uh, kids that are involved in participation. And uh, matter of fact, a lot of people look at Hoover and Thompson. In all of our schools combined, we have more kids participating in athletics than they have in their schools participating right. in athletics. So if you look at a number standpoint, it's a lot of folks. Oh yeah, uh, and a lot of responsibility. Oh, I know. Well, let me ask you this now. You've and as you've as you've been telling us about your family and telling us about your upbringing and all this kind of stuff, you've been telling – I've heard you mention your faith. And, of course, we, I've, I mentioned that you're a Sunday school teacher and you're the chairman of our deacons. But I would like for you – and I ask folks – I would like for you to tell us how you came to know Christ. How did you become a Christian? What what would be your testimony of that, how you met Christ? Well, uh, you know, it's not a lengthy testimony, and it's not a uh, one of those where – you know, I had to be. Of course, I had to be drug up out of the pit. We were all in the pit. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, but from the standpoint of being an elaborate, it just happened at college. I I didn't grow up in a Christian household. Uh, it was a good home, you know, mm-hmm. a good household. But you know, if you described our family, I guess the word would be dysfunctional. Yeah. You know, from that standpoint, we won't get into a lot of detail there. But you know, it was at college when I met a group of guys that were involved in. Um, campus outreach, and uh, they kind of brought me into that, and and I just realized I didn't have what they had. And uh, a guy by the name of Russell and Patrick McDowell just sat me down one evening and kind of shared Christ with me. And you know, I didn't pray to receive Christ at that moment, but it was um, it was just such a moving experience, not just emotionally, but mentally, physically, spiritually. I knew that I needed change. I needed change in direction and. You know, my sophomore year in college, right there at the end, uh, you know, of 1984, uh, and then going back into my junior year in November of, of 1984, I just pulled Patrick aside and I said, I'm, I'm ready to make that decision. And, and I did, you know, prayed to receive Christ. And uh, it was a while before I was baptized because not growing up, I didn't really understand mm-hmm. what all took place. I wasn't really churched and I wasn't in church, but I started going to First Baptist Church, Montevallo, right there on the corner. Beautiful, beautiful church. And uh, Thomas Mansell was a pastor. He's going on to be with the Lord now. But uh, he sat me down after I came back from uh, a missionary uh, journey in the summer down in Panama City. I know folks say, well, in Panama City, you're just enjoying the beach. Well, got to enjoy the beach, sunshine, but also be a, be a part of, uh, uh, you know, the campus outreach ministry that, that they do down there and still do. And uh, he sat me down and just kind of, kind of walked me through, you know, the next steps. And so I was baptized and uh, went on to lead a, a, a life. I'd like to say everything was great from that point on, but just like many, you know, you get involved with activities and things of life that uh, there came a point in time about 19 years ago, I thought, you know, did I really experience this? Did I, 
and I really go through this. So there was a recommitment time in my life here while in Good Hope. And, and since that point, things have really gotten serious between me and the Lord. And, and uh, because at that time, I said, Lord, you know, I've kind of uh, came to you when I needed you and used you as a resource instead of what you truly are. And that is Lord and Savior of my life. So uh, from this point forward, I'm yours and uh, you just direct me. And my answer is yes. And so uh, there it is in a nutshell. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, it's problem. led to uh, to being involved here in ministry at Coleman First Baptist Church, which I wasn't seeking to do that. It found me. And it's taken a long time to say that, yes, I'm called to be a teacher. That, that may be hard for some folks mm-hmm. to understand. Uh, but, yes, that's an area I feel like God has has truly gifted me to teach. Right. and. and and I love studying the Word, and I love teaching the Word. And Well, just coming in, you know, of course, I've, I've been here five years now almost, hard to believe, but um, I I can see, well, my wife's in your, in your Sunday yes, school class yes. too, but the, just the impact of a, of, a, of a solid Bible teacher, not not someone who says, I'm perfect, or that I've got all no, the answers. No, I, I, but, I don't say that. <laughs> and what, and what, what Susan tells me, she says, but, but man, he prepares, and he— you know, you can. He studies. He knows. You know, he's got something to say. God's given him something to do, and and I know what an impact that is on our church, on so many families, and so it's a it's a huge Sunday school class. I don't know how many people are in that, but it's a it, it varies. And, yeah, you know, and I I really feel like Tammy's really the core of all that because she keeps us all connected. Right. And, you know, with our care group leaders and such, our philosophy of Sunday school may not be what everybody else's is out there, but it's. It's real simple, and I got it from Paul Levering. Number one, we're going to care for our people. We're going to love our people. Uh, we're not going to judge our people because none of us are perfect. Right. Uh, we're going to feed our people physically. You know, we're going to have a little something to nibble on on Sunday morning, and then we're hopefully we're going to feed you spiritually as right. well. And, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of yeah. our Sunday school in a well, nutshell. I, from all from all indication, I, they all look pretty healthy. So I know you're feeding them pretty good, <laughs> and there's some great folks in there. There so. are. And Paul's a pretty good one to get a guideline from. He's a just the facts, Paul Levering. So that, that's great. Well, tell me this. My understanding is that you guys are getting prepared to do a major mission trip here. Yes. Tell me and, about that. Well, as part of that answering yes back about 19 or so years ago in, in May, and, you know, I don't remember the exact date of that recommitment, but I, I do remember the time of year and the season of year and the season of life that that was in. And you know, it was followed up not long after that with a conversation with my brother-in-law, who's a Southern Baptist preacher, and we were just sitting. He said, "When are you gonna When are you gonna take a leap and just do what uh, Isaiah did and said, here, Lord, here I am. You know, send me, use me, whatever.'" And he said, "Why don't you just commit to praying that, and I'll commit to praying it for you, and we'll see what happens." Well, it took several years, but since then, it's been. Okay, uh, opportunity to go to Belize and not the coastal area of Belize, back in the jungles where they still have thatch roofs on the house and and uh, participate in some uh, basically like, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but working with the local pastors there to, to give them materials and do some teaching and, and work with them to have something to take back to their flock and, uh, and then to preach and teach in the community. And, um, man, what a time of opening my eyes. Uh, to things of the world, because here I am, young man from Bibb County, Alabama. I hadn't seen the world. I, as far west as I've been is Arkansas, and I went to run a race, and we stopped at one place, ran the race, and came back. So I haven't seen the world. And uh, and then an opportunity to be involved with 
Coleman First Baptist, 4G Ministries, to go with a great group of men, Mike Dean, Robert Franklin, uh, Scott Carlin, Stanley Kilgore, Stanley Dye, uh, and I hope I'm not missing anybody, but to be able to go with them and use a platform of coaching, actually, and, and use basketball that I coached for 14 years. Mike is coached. Robert is coached. Scott has played and, uh, and played at the collegiate level and, and be able to go with this group of guys and work with 50 Filipino men ages 17 to 28 and, and with the emphasis of using basketball to share the gospel not only to that camp group but to their coaches in, that, in, in the Manila area and to anybody else that will show up and then out in the community and during uh, chapel services in the evening. And we're looking forward to that on July 9th. We'll be in the air, and we'll come back home on July 16th, and we hope in between that time that there's a lot of addition to the kingdom. All right, yeah. And you'll be in the air for a while, won't yes, you? Sir. Yes, sir. I don't know how long it takes uh, to fly yes, there. But. Uh, it's, uh, Stanley keeps reminding me every Sunday it's 23 and a half hours for a guy that's been on a plane, the longest I've ever been on a plane is about two hours to go to Belize, and that was only my third time being on an airplane. So I, I, I say, well, they're going to put me in a huge metal tube and shoot me across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> well, and bless your heart, you're going to go with Stanley. I mean, he, he'll have it under control. Oh, it's, it's all under control. It's under it's control. Under so control. that is so exciting. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing about it. I know because Scott, I talked to Scott and stuff. and so. But, man, what a great, like you say, what a great man, group of guys. Man, I'm and just I, humbled to be a part yeah. of it. And, uh, you know, Mike Dean has got us coached up and, uh, ready to go, and uh, he and I, you know, it, it's amazing how I coached over in, uh, well, central Alabama, basically, and uh, but central to the east uh, for all those years with basketball. Here he is in Coleman. We come together, and our philosophies are the same. The things we did are, are very the same. And, and, you know, once again, you just say, man, God's been in this from the beginning, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. way back when. Now I do understand he's coaching you guys up. We he's were kind of laughing about he's coaching you. Yeah, he's well, coaching us well, up. Well, you may need to be. Who knows? <laughs> I, I hope you all come back intact. Well, you know? I, I told Scott the other day he still got some quick feet. I watched him out there on the perimeter. Oh, yeah, he's still pretty quick still out there. Pretty quick, yes, sir. He loves yes, sir. he loves basketball, so he is. Well, Alan, you know one of the questions I always ask someone, and it's funny is I always ask them, "Well, have you had an opportunity? Have you find you have you found your?" spot to serve at First Baptist Church, and that's exactly what we've been talking about. You've got all kinds of areas that you serve, but but you guys and, and your leadership with the deacons, that's that's been great, and I, I don't get to be in deacons meeting. I used to be in a lot of—as an associate pastor, but since we do our services like we do, I don't get to be in there, but I've heard—I hear you guys have great deacons meetings, and Tom just says they're just sweet fellowship, and so— There he is, and, and you know, I maybe— from the standpoint of leadership, you know, you can buy a ton of books on leadership. Right. You, know, you know that as well as yeah. anybody, secular or or Christian based. And you know, I've read a few, but I guess a philosophy on that has been from scripture. So it's not philosophy; it's scriptural right. based. And that is, I believe, in servant leadership. And uh, you know, I don't necessarily lead a group of guys; I serve a group of guys. And in serving, and I serve a church, and in serving that group of guys, I feel like my responsibility is to let them know of ministry opportunities and let's get plugged into those mm-hmm. areas. And and we do that through our family ministry plan here right. at Coleman First Baptist. But there's also other areas. You know, yeah. we're looking forward to a time, and, 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 you know, we hadn't announced it formally yet, but of getting back with our widows and widowers mm-hmm. and, and 
going and eating a meal sometime in December, yeah. uh, hopefully out here at Stonebridge and, right. um, and just spending some time with them and, and bringing our families to be a part of that. There's just so much to do. Yes, there? there is. And, and, you know, when I look around at all the activities in our church and there, you know, there's just so many people plugged in doing so many things. And that begins with our ministerial staff. That begins with Tom, it, it, it's Scott, it's you, it's uh, Carrie and Nikki and, all those folks, mm-hmm. and uh, you guys do a tremendous job of God leading y'all and getting folks plugged into areas uh, to where they can use well, their gifts you. to serve. We do have some sweet folks, some do. good folks. God's, you know, not nothing you know, humble. I guess would be the word. I mean, just regular folks that that serve, and exactly like what you're saying. Well, Alan, you're a blessing to the church. I mean, I love you and Tammy, and I appreciate what you do, who you are, the heart with which you do it, and so. Uh, I appreciate you spending some time talking with us and just telling us, you know, sharing your heart with us. And that's what this first person broadcast is all about. So thanks for coming. Yes, sir. I've enjoyed it, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. We got to do a little fellowship at the beginning. And, you know, a lot of folks see me and they say, oh, he's so serious. Well, once you get to know me, I, I, you know— Folks say, man, I didn't realize that you had such a, a quirky, funny side yeah. to you, and I do. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, love I have that problem. Fun. People think yeah. I'm just serious. Yeah, it, you know, know. And, it, and it's just basically man on a mission at sometimes. And it's it sometimes, is. you know, you just in thought process. But, uh, you know, I invite anybody that wants to come up and say, hey, Alan, I heard you and like to know a little bit more. Man, I sit down and talk. I got some stories, and yeah. I love hearing stories. So. And make sure you tell your class. We always try to make sure we let the class know. Okay. So we'll make sure that they know that this is here. And they, it's just a good way to get a good opportunity to get to know you better. A lot of people know you, and I know a lot of folks know you well, but that's a that's an even better way. So thank you, brother. Yes, sir. I All right, man. It. You take care. Yes, I love you. Love you, too. All right. Thank you for listening to First Person. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with friends and family.